Hello, uh, this is Grant Bartley from Philosophy Now magazine and you're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show. Uh, today's programme is entitled Who is this God person anyway? And I'm here with uh, Barry Hinkson, who's, Hinkston, who's a, a reverend and he's representing Christianity. Hansa Tortsis, who's a Muslim and he's representing Islam. And Richard Barron, who's representing atheism. Now, for the first part of this show, I thought it would be fair to give each of the guys uh, a little time to give their own presentation of what they believe and why they believe it. So they're all going to have uh, four minutes each, and then we're going to play a track, and then we're going to have a basically a theological or untheological argument about it to see if we can elicit any clarity from all this stuff. So uh, we drew lots, and I think, Hamza, you're going first. So if I could ask you, in four minutes, could you please tell me what you as a Muslim believe and why should I as a non-Muslim or the audience listening, believe that. Okay, well, thank you very much for inviting me to the show. Uh First and foremost, I think Islam makes sense because of God's existence. Uh I believe Islam makes sense because of the miraculous nature of the Qur'an. And I think Islam makes sense because of the life of the Prophet Muhammad, Uh peace and blessings be upon him. Let me elaborate. Now, the Qur'an makes an amazing point concerning our own existence and by extension the existence of the universe. Uh-huh. Now, since the universe is finite, in other words, it began to exist, there are three possible explanations. One, the universe came from nothing. Uh-huh. Two, it created itself. Or three, you had the creator or some type of cause. Now, explanations one and two are absurd because out of nothing, nothing comes. And self-creation is impossible because that would imply that my mother gave birth to herself. Uh-huh. So this doesn't make sense. Now we can conclude there must be a creator or cause for the universe and upon conceptual analysis we can say that this cause is one eternal, unique, immaterial, transcendent, etc. But we can leave that for discussion. Sure. So that's the best explanation. Also, concerning the Quran, I think it is an amazing book with regards to that it is an intrusive text. What I mean by this, it's imposing in nature positively imposing because it uh-huh. seeks to engage with the inner dimensions of man. It asks amazing questions like have you not seen the heavens and the earth, the whole universe? Think about yourself, reflect within yourself, etc., etc. For instance, there's an Arabic word in the Quran used called yatafakkarun, which uh-huh. means for those who reflect. And this word to reflect doesn't mean being a desert romantic, looking yeah. at the stars and touching the sand. Rather, it means that the thing that you're reflecting upon, you must inquire deeply about its implications. Now, with regards to the miraculousness of the Qur'an, I believe it's inimitable because of its unique literary form. It's inimitable. Right. In other words, it's matchless. Okay. This is why Professor Bruce Lawrence, he said that the Qur'an as tangible signs are expressive of an inexhaustible truth. They signify meaning laid within meaning, light upon light, miracle after miracle. And also, we know that this unique literary form has nothing to do with aesthetic reception. It's not like Shakespeare, to be or not to be, or... Oh Romeo, oh Romeo, where art thou, oh Romeo? Rather to do with the mechanics of the language and the Quran has de-scoped the Arabic language. It's not prose, nor poetry. It does not fit into any of the literary forms. Uh-huh. As the famous Arabist A.J. Arbery said, for the Quran is a unique fusion of prose and poetry. In other words, metrical and non-metrical okay. spe- speech. Now also the Quran talks about natural phenomena and these natural phenomena they're not contingent on the 7th century worldview. And we ask ourselves the question, how can the Qur'an know things about natural phenomena, for example, embryology, where there was an absence of scientific information at that time, and something we could discuss further. Finally, Islam makes sense of the Prophet, of the life of the Prophet Muhammad, upon whom be peace. Mm-hmm. You know, he had an interesting and dynamic life. He went through emotional turmoil. He was 
tortured, boycotted, <laughs> and he suffered a lot of abuse. Yet he stood firm in his message, which was very simple and profound, which is just worship in a comprehensive sense, the one true God, which right. in Islam is called Tawheed, oneness. Uh-huh. And I believe if we really scrutinize his life, we have to confirm that he was speaking the truth. His claim to prophethood was true. Mm-hmm. And this is eloquently summarized by Montgomery Want, uh, Montgomery Want, rather. He says, to call Muhammad an imposter would create far more problems than it solves. Uh-huh. So for th- these three, if you like, intellectual foundations, I think Islam makes sense. And let me just summarize. Islam makes sense of the existence of God. Islam makes sense of the inimitability of the Quran. And Islam makes sense of the truthfulness of the Prophet's claim to prophethood. Okay, thanks. That's very succinct. Uh, just to remind listeners, at the moment, we're not getting into a discussion or debate about any of the points raised. We're just giving the people an uh, opportunity to make their points, first of all. We do the discussion in a few minutes. All right, next up, I think, is Barry Hinkston, the reverend, who's going to tell us. So, uh, Barry, uh, you're a Christian. Can you tell me why I should believe in Christian? what Christianity is and why I should believe in it? In four minutes, please. Thanks, Grant. I'll uh, I'll have a go. A great deal of what I'm about to say um, shares a lot of common ground with what Hamza said. Um, Christianity, for all the libraries it has filled, is actually based on the realisation or the assertion that we cannot actually know God unless he reveals himself to us. Uh-huh. So strange as it might seem, my opening gambit is that a, a philosophical case for Christian belief is actually very hard mm-hmm. and may even be quite counterproductive, but I'll I'll try and illustrate that and not make it the biggest cop-out of the evening. Okay. Um, it may be a strange thing to say, but God is unreachable by our brains and only pointed, by what, pointed to by what he has done. And we call that revelation, and revelation for the Christian is everything. And the question really is our response to that. Um, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Hamza said something very, very similar, actually, and proclaims his handiwork and day-to-day pours out speech and so on. Um, The creation that that psalm speaks about culminates in mankind, who who is made in the image of God, and the incarnation of God, which we believe, of course, is Jesus Christ. And the fundamental platform of Christianity is not that we've discovered God through searching and thinking, but that he's revealed himself to us. Revealed himself in scripture, um, as choosing and creating mankind, and revealed himself by walking alongside us in the form of Jesus Christ um, who, who shares um, it, um, God's nature and is God. And God in Christ provides us with every means to face the fallenness of our nature, our imperfection, and overcome it, not by taking it away, but by changing us into something else. But the central point in which I am convinced more and more is that, that not that you should believe anything I say because I can prove it, but because you will want to respond to God's revelation of himself to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm increasingly convinced that there is no other way. Unless you see something about the church or Christians or you meet God, you will not respond to any um, philosophy that I might chuck at you. Mm -hmm. And it may not go down very well, but the Christian God can only really be found by someone who desires him. Uh, Blaise Pascal um, in the the 17th century said, because of basic human sinfulness, we tend to believe what we want to believe. And if we really want something not to be true, we're very good at coming up with reasons why it isn't true for us. But more importantly, he argued that God doesn't sit at the end of an argument waiting to be discovered, but unites himself with man in the depths of our soul. Uh 
and makes us incapable of having any other end but him. Augustine said something very, very similar a lot earlier than that. He said, God, you've made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. And, and that's the foundation of Christianity, really, that we believe God made us for himself. Um, in terms of why you should believe, I think the gospel of Christ defies human nature and logic, to be honest. It's an upside down story where merit ceases to count and where God's proactive grace is everything. Um, and um, I would simply point to the manifest failure of, of human beings' own nature and wisdom. By contrast, um, our contrast of cleverness has actually failed. I'm not an anti-intellectual. I'm not a believer in anti-intellectualism. But I think that everything the Bible says about the nature of mankind and the nature of God has shown itself to be true. And you don't have to go back any further than the last hundred years. Okay. So I would present Christianity as having proved itself through history by what it says about us, uh-huh. by what it says about God, mm-hmm. what it says about the problem between the two, mm-hmm. and what it puts forward as the solution. Okay, thanks very much, Barry. Another succinct one there. Okay, finally, we get get to Richard Barron, who's going to, and I'm going to ask you, Richard, all right, what do you mean or what do you believe when you're an atheist and why should I believe it? Okay, very simply, there is no God. Now, how do I get to that position? I start by asking, what should we do to work out whether God exists? We should gather a wide range of evidence, like we would for any other difficult question, and then ask, what makes most sense of the evidence? Well, there's plenty of evidence. looks as though it ought to help the believer. We've got an enormously complex world. We've got human consciousness and society. We've got our moral sense and so on. God would explain all of that very easily. No, he wouldn't. There are two things wrong with the idea that God is a great explanation for all of this. Uh The first one is that bringing in God doesn't actually make sense of anything at all. It simply says, we don't understand this, whether it's a complex world or human consciousness or morality, so we'll assume there's an explanation and we'll call it God. No one tells us how God does these wonderful things. No one explains the mechanics of how God works. They just say, God can do anything. Bringing in God amounts to saying, we don't have an answer, an explanation, but we must have one, so we'll pretend that we've got one. The grown-up scientific attitude is completely different. It's to say, we don't have all the answers yet, but hey, no one promised us that the universe will be easy to understand, so we'll go on working at it. The second thing wrong with explaining things by bringing in God is that it disregards one huge piece of evidence from all of our other studies of the world. This is that we live in one world made of matter and energy in space and time, and all habits of knowledge are interlinked. Suppose, for example, that you're a historian, you're explaining how a battle went 300 years ago. Of course, you talk about the motives of the generals, but you also talk about the fact that it was raining, making the ground slippery so the troops couldn't run easily to attack, and that explains the outcome. Rain making the ground slippery is all basic science, and it helps to explain the history. That's what I mean when I said all of our bits of knowledge are interlinked. The world is one world, and we have one big body of knowledge to make sense of it. Bring in God, and you fly in the face of all of that. You bring in something from outside nature, something non-physical, something that can mess about with the natural world here and there in a way that no one can predict. That's just a crazy addition to our way of understanding the world. It's just a flight of fancy. We have no grip on the idea of God because it's not integrated into our overall understanding. So there are good reasons for not bringing God into the picture. But even so, do we still need God, for example, as a source of morality? No, we don't. Look at the moral codes that religions have proposed. 
Some of the common rules, like no murder, no stealing, no stealing, and do look after the poor, are obviously sensible. We can easily justify them to ourselves without bringing God into the picture. Then there are the other rules, the ones we cannot justify without bringing God in. They're crazy rules that we don't need at all. For example, a rule that you shouldn't have sex with someone of your own sex. Those rules lead to great and pointless anguish for lots of people. So morality, religion is either unnecessary or positively bad influence. Finally, meaning. Does religion give meaning to life? Well, maybe. But we can find our own meanings. One option would be to find it in achieving things and using your talents, maybe as a parent or a fireman or a nurse or whatever. Moreover, I'm a free human being. I'm not going to take my meaning from some imaginary God or his earthly representative. I'm going to take it from myself and from the people around me. Okay, thank you very much, Richard. All right, so you've heard the, the points. Now uh, we're just going to listen to a, a brief bit of Moby and God moving over the face of the waters, and then we're going to argue about it.
Moby. I'm Grant. You're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show and we're talking about God. Uh, so now we're getting into a little bit of a discussion about the different presentations for their cases that each of the guys have made. Uh, Hamza, I think you wanted to make a comment first of all to Richard about his uh, dismissal of the God of the Gaps. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like Richard's initial introductory presentation. It was quite evangelical of him. <laughs> I think what was interesting <laughs> is that he brought up the... And I call it an atheist outdated cliche, which you can call the God of the Gaps. Yeah. We don't know Squeeze God in there. Yeah. It's too complicated. We don't have an explanation. We must try and fit God in there somehow. He happens to be the best explanation. I think this is a cliche. It's a misconstrual of the theistic arguments. And if you were to even be attentive to the main argument, which is a form of the cosmological argument, that argument doesn't fit well. Good could as you a, say what the cosmological? If you're going to bring a term like that, you better tell us what it means. Well, basically, about you know the universe began to exist, right? And if whatever begins to exist has a cause, therefore the universe must have a okay. cause. And upon conceptual analysis, you come to certain startling or striking features, if you like, or attributes of this cause which are in line with the theistic model of who God well, is. It, it, so that is not God of the gaps. It, it, actually you start it, with yeah. evidence, with reality, you think hard about reality, uh-huh. and you come to a conclusion, okay, well there's a cause, and this cause has these attributes. Oh, this is in line, in tune, corresponds with the theistic view on who God is. So the atheistic view that says because you don't know, you just fit God in there. It's actually not really being, I think, it's sincere not, to the it's argument. Not the eighth, it's yeah. not the theist's argument to say, oh, we don't understand, therefore God, it's different than that. It's like so a strong man. So it has been in history. It has been. And I think mm. both Christianity and other religions have fallen flat on their faces when they've tried to yeah, use I it. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, in- I think Richard would want to... you know, intelligent design as well. Yeah. Mm. But um, I think we let, let Richard reply to his critique... Uh, Okay, well, my point about God being useless as an explanation, yes, it can be used against the God of a Gaps type approach, which, okay, you say is not your approach, but I think it can also be used against anything like a cosmological argument. Okay, God was there to start it all off. Where did God come from? It's just no explanation. And as I said, God is supposed to be non-physical, quite different from the physical world. We don't have any explanation of the mechanism. The other thing I would say is that that cosmological argument fails because you don't do physics by applying common sense. Physics works with the equations. And to apply common sense concepts of, well, it must have started sometime and it must have been something just before then that started it all off isn't the way to do it. You just look at the equations. There's a variable in there called time. Perhaps it just doesn't have a value before time equals naught. And with something else we've discovered is that even empty space isn't properly empty. It has non-zero energy. It is not impossible in physical terms for the universe to just start. And it's just very hard for us in common sense terms if to get you, a head around if it. If you take an, an indeterministic view on quantum physics, mm. then yes, you have a coherent view. But that's being, again, evangelical because... There isn't only one view on physics. You have a determinist view on physics as well. And to say where God came from is actually denying your understanding of the argument because the argument actually implies that whatever begins to exist have a cause and we're not saying God began to exist in the first place and, in, and well, the, ob- the obvious problem with that is why can't, why can't you say the universe didn't have a cause this is precisely the point and Professor Anthony Flew raises this point what is it about God that makes him especially uncaused I suppose well this is, ama- this is the, the amazing point because Anthony Flew says this in his book he says either you have the universe that's uncaused or the cause for the universe that's uncaused but we have good 
good reasons to believe that the universe actually began to exist right. cosmology physics right. philosophy of mathematics etc so we come to the conclusion based upon evidence not just saying oh we want god to be uncaused just a final point on regarding it being immaterial. See, the concept of being immaterial is not, a, is not a problem for the theist because he has a wide range of philosophical tools at his disposal to come to conclusions. Mm-hmm. You are affirming naturalism here, which doesn't mean it has to be true. If you take, for example, consciousness as an example, neuroscientists mm-hmm. today... Neuroscientists today I know I have to hurry up I'm ending now Neuroscientists (laughs) today They have found that When they play with someone's brain And they make someone say something Or move their hand The participant or the patient is saying I know I did it But I didn't intend it So it shows that there is this consciousness That is not related to Physicality So that's another discussion we can have I don't think we've got time for in-depth metaphysics So Barry, (laughs) is there anything that you want to add Or qualify to what's just been said? I just wanted to um, question the approach really Which is to assert that if you you look at the universe Even what we know about it Uh okay, Which has accelerated a great deal in the last 10 years, 100 years, massively And we know it to be, you know, huge Anything that could have created that, is it even conceivable we could understand it? And reduce it to this cause and effect type argument that we're talking about here. It, it seems to me that... Well, we're trying to understand all, it. Isn't that the endeavour of science? It though? is. But do you really rate your chances of being successful? Oh, to a certain... Yeah, of course, we're getting more and more successful. I mean, whether the there creator, is an ultimate... Not the answer. universe itself, the right. creator of it. If I assert the identity of a creator who must be therefore superior than what we're looking at, I, I don't rate our chances at all. So your, but your argument, if you forgive me, is based on, because we can't know anything... Sorry, that's my phone I didn't say we can't know anything. Because wrong. we can't know God, <laughs> ultimately speaking, or we can't know the ultimate cause of everything, therefore there is a God, which sounds like a God of the gaps argument to me. It's like reason no. can only take us so far, therefore we've got to rely on revelation for the rest. Oh, well, I agree with the last statement, but not the one that preceded it. Um, I mean, from a Christian narrative point of view, I mean, that's not the only Christian view. I mean, there's other rationalist thinkers in the Christian doctrine. Oh, for sure. There's a vast spectrum. But coming to the Christianity part, just so you understand the Muslim Mm. mindset, because I think it's slightly more heavily involved in maybe reasoning, if you want to use that term Mm. loosely, is that Muslims would have a problem with the incarnation of God. Of course. Because Mm. if, for example, we define God as immaterial, transcendent, Mm -hmm. holy, for instance, we would have a a problem, and it may not be a problem, you could discuss this, that how can a holy, immaterial, transcendent God now come into the material world and become, in effect, unholy and material? It's like having a square triangle. Uh, Do you want to try and answer that then, Barry? Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think the, you want a Greek Orthodox to come in and talk about right. that because they, uh-huh. they are the incarnation to them is is <laughs> Not orthodox, is the very essence of uh, the, the, exactly the answer to that question for which there is no answer, and that's that's the thing that prompts worship that God would choose to do that. Okay, so again, in. you'll get into this uh, this way of thinking whereby I can't answer that, therefore, oh God. Um. It's better than pretending to answer it. Yeah, but that, I mean, the point I'm trying to get at is what positive reasons can you give me for your theism without even getting specific on Jesus Christ? What positive reason can I have to believe it to be um, true? Well, you, you, you disqualified my trump card there. Did I? <laughs> Didn't you? Well, I'm a Christian. Right. I can't give you um, um, an answer to that question you without Jesus Christ. You can't give me Christ. any good reason why I should believe in Christianity. Outside of Jesus Christ, 
But that, that doesn't sound... Like, uh, uh, well, I don't think you're getting it. Why should Jesus Christ himself be the reason, then, in that case? Well, uh, philosophically, probably I can't. Well, that doesn't right? sound very good. Well, you will have to choose your response right. to God's revelation mm. of himself. Uh-huh. And it is a step of faith. Okay, well, I, I mean, think, I think, I think being hang on a second, Hamza. I think Richard would want to yeah, say sure. something yeah, in response yeah, sure. to that. that for and me, he's not going to be nice. That, well, for no, me, <laughs> marks a very strong contrast with what I've been hearing from Barry and what I've been hearing from Hamza. That, as Hamza just said, so the reasoning plays a more significant part in the Muslim approach to this and that for me is right we've got a a factual question does God exist it's going to be a very funny kind of fact it's not a yeah, fact like yeah. Paris is the capital of France gotcha. it's going to be yeah. a very funny kind of fact but nonetheless mm. there is a real disagreement here and for me if you've got a real disagreement then there is no choice about what to believe you have to work and work at the evidence yeah because you're trying to find out the truth, which we re- which we probably all reckon is out there, if only we could get at it. Right. So yeah. you're say- you're saying that if we if we got the right evidence, we wouldn't have a choice because it would be in front of us and we wouldn't choose. Yeah. If we're very fortunate and get plenty of evidence, now I reckon that there is plenty of evidence for my position. Other people obviously disagree, but I think it is a matter of evidence and argument, not of choice of response. Okay. Well, to, I think to be fair to Barry. It's Barry, right? It is. Yes, I'm yeah. very bad with remembering names. I do apologise. Not as bad as Grant. Well, no. we have to understand, Grant, what we have to understand, I think you saying it's not good that he doesn't use philosophy of reason is actually quite, it's quite unfair. And let me explain well, I what think I mean. Only, I think well, it's me, copying me, out of philosophy. No, that's nothing wrong with that because right. if you look at it, for example, there are certain assumptions that we have to make in life mm-hmm. that we can't justify. For example, the, the assumption for science or scientific naturalism is that the external world exists. We can't prove that. You can't prove that. You don't know if your brain is well, not in Venus sure, and an sure. alien with, with wires in your brain making you feel the way you feel. So there are some certain assumptions. Sure, let that me we, stop yeah. you there. That I would reply, in that case, it's a question of going with what you've got the best reasons to believe. And I'm simply asking, what are these best reasons that make Christianity or Islam or atheism yeah, sure. more plausible than either of the alternatives? And that's what I'm trying to elicit. Yes, but, and if Barry yeah. says, well, there are no reasons, you just have to look at Christ. And if you indeed, again, say there are no reasons, you have to look at the Quran or Muhammad, then it seems to me you've got to justify But it again, that's more. unfair, because I think we uh-huh. should have a listening technique that has an intention to understand. And what, right. I, and what I'm getting from Barry is, he's not being unreasonable. He's saying, look, my best explanation is this central character called Jesus. What did he say? Mm. What he, he, did he do? How did he reveal himself? So I think from someone, I, and I disagree with him fundamentally on these theological issues, but oh, I think I... thought I, I had him there for a minute. <laughs> yeah. but, but, uh, but I would like to, to try and make it a bit more of a less kind of evangelical discussion and think, mm. okay, th- he's, he's pegging all his approach to Jesus himself, this character, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Who was he from a Christian perspective? Right. That's his reason. Mm. So I think the question should follow, instead of saying that's not a reason, it should follow, well, please elaborate on that. Okay. What do you mean by mm. Jesus of Nazareth? All right, then, go on, Barry. What, what do you mean by Jesus of Nazareth? Why, so, is he so himself Thank proof, you for that. why is he himself proof of Christianity? You have got to wean yourself away from this word proof. There is none. A demonstration, then. Yeah, I can only offer you a testimony, a personal yeah. opinion of why well, I look, hold the view I do. Again, what I'm looking for is why your reason is better or more plausible than the other reasons. Well, 
Um, it doesn't really come into the realm of better or more plausible no. because my belief in why I am what I am uh -huh. is down to personal encounter and my my belief in what that was right. and why I so responded to it. So you had some sort of ex religious experience? Not, not, not a road to Damascus one in the sense I was knocked off my horse and blinded like Paul uh -huh. was, but um, something much more subtle. I was about 12 years old and I came to a person, uh, sorry, a position of conviction uh -huh. And I could take you to the physical spot where it was, so, right? Fine. And then said, "I believe this. I'm going to pin sure, my but, uh, life why, to it." What and was, then what you was test it, it through life. What was it about the experience that made you think this is correct? Ooh, correct. That's a bit. I don't it was know. Telling was you it? the truth. Come on. Yeah, yeah I, 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 understand, I, I understand what you mean, but it's a very difficult question to answer. It was an encounter with what I believed to be the truth. Right. I subsequently tested it. Uh, it saw me through my teenage years and into adulthood and um, has been the shaping factor to my life. Now, I quite accept that many, many millions, if not billions of people, have had other responses. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to knock those. But it isn't um, fundamentally based, for me, on logic and philosophy. It's about relationship and um, a genuine... Uh, faith walk, which is uh -huh. why I don't use the word religion very much, but I, I, don't, okay. I don't mean to be picky about that. All right. Uh, well, I, I would hazard that Hamza has a religious experience of, of an course. equivalent type. Mm. So the question would there be, what is it between your different religious experience that is distinct, and then, uh, you know, why is one more persuasive than the other? The cosmological so, stuff we would share. Yeah, I mean, the course, evidence yeah, of I mean, the skies yeah, I mean, would be the same. As, as I understand it, the only, mm. the real difference is that Christians believe uh, Jesus is God and Muslims believe Jesus was not God. But, uh, and and the, the, the issue of sin and reconciliation uh -huh. would be different. Well, yeah, yep. another programme. But, uh, <laughs> so what you, would you say you had a religious experience which made you a Muslim? Um, or why did you become a Muslim? Well, I became a Muslim because of the things I talked about in the initial presentation that yeah. Islam makes sense of God's existence so you were reasoned into it yeah? I was reasoned to it but like anything you have to have that emotional driving force uh -huh. so there were these existential questions like Richard Barron he made an interesting point that do we have meaning in absence of God uh -huh. he says yes but I think no that's a self delusion like if you read the existentialist like Jean-Paul Sartre when he said we actually have no meaning. It's the absurdity of life. Without God, it is absurd. Arthur Schopenhauer, what yeah. did he say? He said, "This, I rather the universe not exist at all. He said, it's a mindless universe. It's chaotic. And he also wrote an essay on suicide. Now, if we really think about the existential implications of atheism, then it would go down that really dark route. you know why? Because what we do is this. Let me attribute meaning. Let me attribute purpose to my own life. Like, I'm going to be an engineer. Yeah. I'm going to do things. But the very basis for your existence is empty. I think so that you're, is a self-delusion. So you're, you're uh, basically basing it on a uh, need for meaning. But no, uh, no, I'm not actually, because I, it's an additional argument. My uh, arguments, as I, as I constructed earlier, were the beginning of the universe, God's existence, the inimitability of the Quranic okay. discourse, mm. the life of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. These are rational reasons. Uh -huh. I'm adding something, another dimension, which adds to the emotional dimension, because I think this is where the atheists fell. They cannot give you ultimate meaning and purpose. They have to admit there is none. All right. Okay, Richard. Um, which is fine. So, so <laughs> why... <laughs> 
I mean, was it a sort of conversion to atheism for you or something equivalent to that? No, I wouldn't say that. I can't identify any particular moment. Uh, What I would say in response to Hamza is I have plenty of meaning in my life. It's Uh entirely satisfactory. Okay, Hamza mentioned Sartre, he mentioned Schopenhauer. I think John Stuart Mill had plenty of meaning in his life. I think Aristotle, who mentions God as a kind of just driving force of the universe, a kind of God utterly indifferent, had plenty of meaning in his life. It's not difficult to find meaning. Okay. Well, but, that's, an, that's an emotional but, argument. I mean, there's un- it's no, not ultimate, is it? There's no ult- yeah, again, there's no ultimate meaning. So uh, there's no ultimate meaning to reality itself. How do you deal with that? That doesn't bother me at all. I don't expect the universe to be an easy place in which meaning is given to you on a plate. There's no reason why it should be. The world owes me nothing. The world was here first. And if there isn't any ultimate meaning, we better just face that fact and not wish that there were meaning and say, oh, we'll take it off the God shelf. Okay, thanks. And now we're going to listen to the church with Invisible. Silent from the structures left behind. 
Philosophy Now magazine, and you're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show, and we're talking about God. I've got Barry Hinkston, Hampstead Tortsis, and Richard Barron here at various camps, and uh, I think, Barry, you want to say something about what Richard was just saying, is that right? Well, Richard was talking about meaning, and meaning right. in life, and, and there, was a, there was a kind of an interchange about there has to be meaning because without it, you get very, very bad outcomes. Meaning, meaning's ultimate purpose. Ultimate purpose, or or how that relates to you as an individual, or so on. Okay, cosmic so level. Uh, let me stop you there. What is ultimate purpose on your Christian view? What is the ultimate purpose of the universe, well, or the your ultimate, life, or human life? Whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, there's two different questions there. But God created the universe. He created life on Earth. I'm I'm totally at ease with evolution and right. that kind of stuff. It doesn't right. bother me. Right. Um, in order to have a relationship with it. Um, and that that relationship should be developed in love and freedom of choice of response to God, right. um, which opens up lots of cans of worms. Yeah, but that's sure. you know for a radio show that's the one one line answer. Okay, let's stop let's stop you there. What about you, Hamza? What would you say in Islam is the purpose of God's creation of the world or of humanity? Oh, it's very simple. The purpose of God's creation is to know. And love God and uh-huh. to worship Him. And what worship means doesn't mean you become a priest or a monk. Uh-huh. Rather, worship is quite—it's quite deep, actually. What it means is that you do not refer things to your ego anymore. You don't live in an egocentric reality. Uh-huh. What you do, you re- reference things to something that's higher and obviously more wise and intelligent than you, which gives you f- true freedom. Okay. There's an American writer that once said that being born is like being kidnapped, kidnapped and sold into slavery, which is quite an apt description yeah. of our exist- existential view. Like the existentialist yeah. said that we have this concept of thrownness, that you're thrown into reality and you just have to deal with it. Okay. And I think you free yourself by worshipping God. Okay, well, uh, for Richard, what about you? In, on an atheist view, what's the purpose of existence or the purpose of even the existence of the universe if there is... I don't look for a purpose of the existence of the universe. For human beings, we obviously, many of us want to identify a purpose, and it's fine by me if they're all different purposes. And okay. people can create their own purposes. For me, it's to work, to achieve, to exercise my talents. Other people may have but similar me, purposes. 
and others have completely different purposes. But let me That's boil fine. it down. Does that mean that to you, as an atheist, the only purpose that exists is the purpose for the individual? There's no, there's no purpose which is the goal of history, for instance. Certainly no purpose that's the goal of history. Uh, we are going to go on creating our own history in completely unpredictable ways. That's fine, although sometimes we do make a bit of a mess of it. Um, Different people have different purposes. They're self-created. They're not ultimate in the sense of it's out there for you to discover. It's mm -hmm. something that within you, you create. And that's fine. What happens, um, I probably want to open this all up to all of you. I mean, that's fine when things are going well. But what happens when really things start turning into a mess, when you're like dying of some horrible disease or you've lost loved ones or something like that? Then doesn't purpose automatically disappear then? And then you get the, the problem. Then you get the existential angst. I don't feel that. No, certainly there are. There is great suffering in the world. Some of it is natural suffering. Some of it is created by human beings, sad mm. to say. Uh -huh. But I'm afraid that's how life is. We've only evolved for a while. We haven't evolved to perfection yet. Maybe we never will. I'm sorry. That's the way the world is. We can make things better. And yeah. very often we do make things better. But that doesn't mean we're ever going to make things perfect. And it doesn't mean that there's a perfect state out there that we, to which we can aspire. Okay, what about you guys who believe in a good God? I mean, that's sort of hunky-dory until the suffering comes along. Then how do, you, how do you account, if your God is good, then why is the world so bad? And what do we do about it? Who wants to go for it? Barry? I'll, 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 the, the, the debate has raged for 2,000 years, if not yeah. longer, but it boils down into a number of discernible ones, probably three or four. Augustine's very famous for saying that it's, it's about freedom, free yeah. will, and that suffering is basically boils down to the absence of good, where people choose not to do good things, that bad things come out. So, you know, provatio boni, whatever you call it. Sure, but there's... In Latin. No, well, I'm only saying what you case, said. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not having right. an argument with Augustine, just putting right. forward what you said. Uh, I think it was Irenaeus that said, well, actually, there is a purpose to it, which is much more along the lines of a journey that human beings go along, which develops them and refines them, uh, and, and uh, by implication, I, I guess, a, a journey of improvement, soul-making. So suffering is ultimately good for you, that's what you're saying? Well, uh, that's probably putting it very simplistically, uh -huh. but I, I suppose there is a strand in what he's saying that, that uh -huh. comes to that. There are other kind of rather more linguistic arguments, like uh -huh. an aesthetic argument which says, in order for a hill to be high, the valley has to be low. Right, you know, there's yeah, that kind of yeah. contrast, that kind of thing, which gives richness to life. That you've got to be careful how you use that and who you're talking oh, oh, to right, because then. it can be a little bit more complicated. Okay, Hamza, what about Islam? What's its response to the amazing amount of suffering in the world? I mean, an atheist might even say that God is a sadist, the amount of suffering there is in the world. What yeah, I mean, I think, that? that's a, I think that's a childish view, unfortunately. Uh -huh. First and foremost, the argument is logically posterior to the existence of God. Someone may argue that logically you need God's existence before you start arguing if he's good or bad. Right. Secondly, well, in, in, in Islamic theology, not... just for me to finish, uh -huh. sorry, in Islamic theology, we don't believe God is just good. We believe he has 99 names and attributes which make sense and they're coherent, make sense right. of reality. And for instance, we believe God is wise. Right. So we believe there is wisdom behind everything. Now, someone may say, well, I can't see the wisdom. But, well, that's... And logical fallacy. It's an argument for ignorance, argumentum ad ignoratium. Sure. You can't argue for ignorance. And the other the, point is... What would yep. the, 
wisdom behind suffering be then in that case? Well, as we know, we go back to our ultimate purpose, which is to worship God. And when right. the way you respond to suffering is also right. worship. Some people think worship is bowing down, up and down five times a day. No, worship is your response to calamity. Like the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, said that the patience to a calamity is at the point of calamity, meaning that you really hold down your ego and you hold down your soul and say, Look, I know I'm here to do a job, which is to respond to the so co- let me God's cla- call, let me which see is if I to can clarify him. this. Does yeah. that mean that maybe a core Islamic response to suffering is to say that it helps release you from the ties of ego or whatever word you want to use and in a spiritual sense maybe maybe but i think the fundamental point is this is look when the atheist postulates that there is real evil there's objective evil they're actually saying that evil needs some kind of objective grounding but if they don't believe in god Hmm. it's not objective anymore because god is the only conceptual anchor that transcends human subjectivity so but if they do affirm there's objective evil then they're affirming god's existence i'm not using using the word evil i'm using the word suffering and you don't even suffering you don't have to believe in any abstract thing to know that there's concrete human sufferings Mm -hmm. but uh yeah um other questions um how did the world get here if you don't believe in god richard well you need to do the physics to work that out and i don't think we've got all the answers yet but as i said earlier the right attitude is to say we don't have the answers there's no guarantee we'll have the answers we must keep on working and try to get them maybe we won't get them maybe we will get them all but i am absolutely convinced that if we get them they are going to be in the mathematical formulae not in the common sense the big mistake of things like the cosmological argument is to think that it's common sense you need uh-huh. physicistically hang on cosmological argument for those who didn't hear that that's the argument that uh, the heavens proclaim the, the glory of god uh, because the universe came into existence, there must have been a cause of it, and this cause must be God, because God is the mm. only thing yeah. that is the cause of itself. And the big advantage of going for the equations and not for the common sense, you can see it, the enormous success of physics, by leaving common sense out of it and just doing the mathematics, is why we've got this radio station. It's why people can go to the moon. It's why we have scanners that can work out your diseases without cutting you open. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of um, uh, interject there and say, look, OK, that's one type of explanation of things the explanation of what you see on the physical the physical state of the world but isn't there any room for um thinking in terms of uh things you can't see or in terms of say psychology which might lead you on to spirituality for instance they may do and particularly you can have this felt response to god but that doesn't prove that it's there but then as Barry's basing his whole belief on his uh, experiential mm. response to God, so well, I don't disagree with that statement. I really but don't. Then, can I, I just... I, and, and I know you want us to beat us over, over the head with, with contrasting arguments, but I, I don't disagree with it. It doesn't prove that it's there. But I, and, can and, I ask you again, then, in that mm. case, why do you think your experience justifies you in believing in Jesus? Why does my experience justify me in believing it? Because uh-huh. um, since that day, when I was 11 or 12, I've walked with it. Uh-huh. I've put it to the test. I've not found it wanting. Okay. I've found it very mysterious. Uh-huh. And incidentally, the, the, the sort of thing that Richard's talking about 
in terms of the mathematics and the explanations and all the rest of it, I have no problem with. I, I tape and watch every single program on the TV that deals with creation in that way. I lap it up. It, I'm not a creationist. I'm not one of these six-day creation, 6,000-year people. Okay. All right, uh, Hamza, that's in- interesting to me because I've no idea. What do Muslims think about the theory of evolution? What do you? I, I mean, maybe you can't speak for all Muslims, but what do you think about the theory of evolution? Um, the theory of evolution, from an Islamic perspective, is a contentious issue. Uh-huh. They, what would you say the truth is? About how human beings develop? Yeah. Well, the Islamic narrative is that it's just like the Christian narrative, God created Adam and Eve, and then we had humanity from there. I mean, in in complete in a complete form, you mean? So you in don't form, you yeah. basically don't believe in the theory of evolution? No, not 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 as such from a human perspective. But there is a difference between micro and macro evolution. Mm. Could you explain uh, that? Uh, well, for example, evolution within species and across species, uh-huh. and I think even studying evolution, I did science is that you would see that there are gaps. That's why it's called a fact any theory. For example, you have a lot of facts about DNA, Mm -hmm. you have a lot of facts about biology, but the theory weaves through these facts. Now, unfortunately for the naturalists or for the atheists, if you like, that's all they have. They don't want to go anywhere else because that's all they have. But I think if you take more of an intellectual approach, you stand back a bit and say, okay, it's a good explanation from a naturalistic paradigm, it's a good explanation from a scientific paradigm, but it's not the only explanation. There are some gaps. For example, in the issue of random mutations and creating something positive and all these different developments that are happening in uh, evolution as we speak. So, But the Islamic narrative is quite clear. Okay, alright Richard, you sort of, that gave you kittens, so do you want to reply to that? <laughs> yeah, okay, there are gaps and there are open questions in evolutionary theory, certainly. So we haven't got everything cracked, but we have got the broad narrative of evolution cracked. There are shed loads of evidence for it, not just a case full of fossils, but a distribution of species in different places, the rate of diversification of species, our understanding of a DNA mechanism. Evolution, I'm sorry, is fact. And I don't say that some people don't believe in it. I say that some people are just plain ignorant of it. How can you say that when you say that there are gaps in it? How can it be a fact? You contradicted yourself. No, I didn't contradict myself. I said we've we've got tons of evidence for the broad narrative. The broad evolutionary narrative, narrative, that is fact. There are certainly some little details we have to get right. Take a historical narrative. We, we know the broad narrative of the Norman conquest of England. That doesn't mean we know all of the facts about it. The fact that there are some gaps doesn't undermine our broad narrative at all. Ditto with evolution. OK, Barry, you wanted to add something here. Um, yeah, I might have to um, get my passport out and leave the country after saying this, but um, evolution for a very broad spectrum of Christians is actually becoming largely irrelevant. Not for all, but for very many, because um, this is what we say. The human race is very, very, very young. Tens of thousands of years I don't know when, when, when the, the actual Homo sapiens emerged. Uh, 300,000 years ago. Maybe. Okay, well, in terms of the age of the Earth, that's, that's very, very recent, which fits with the broad Genesis story, not the literal Genesis story, but the broad Genesis okay. story. It can be and made the, to fit. The point is that human beings are made in the image of God, perhaps by the process uh-huh. of evolution. All right. Uh, so there is no conflict necessarily. An awful lot of Christians would will clobber me over the head and say that's not what we believe but many many Christians have no problem with it anymore and the sort of things that Richard's talking about as fact are just the same as 
you know, okay. quarks and quasars and so on. I'm quite happy to accept them as facts. All right, I think we've got to sum up now because we're coming in at the end of the show. So if I can summarise, you're, you're basing, Richard, you're basing your atheism on reason and saying that God doesn't add any explanation to anything that can be proved, I guess. And Hamza, you're saying that you're basing your... Um, belief in Islam on on the evidence of the Quran and the universe and the life of the Prophet Muhammad. Which is reason, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Barry, you're saying you're basing your belief on a revelation you've received about the nature of Christ, which is experiential for you. Isn't it? it wasn't just me, but... <laughs> okay, yeah. So is there anybody, anything anybody would like to add to this, that summarisation? No. I like to have one thing. Okay. I, I think the perpetuation of it through the life of the church and through the perpetuation of scriptures and so on does, w- does witness to a force greater than pure philosophy. Sure, but you can say that about any religion, can't you? Well, um, not the ones who don't yeah. exist anymore. I mean, just as a broader James. narrative here, I think what the main issue is, especially on Richard's part, I think, is that he has only one tool, and that's scientific naturalism. But I think someone who's an, who's an intellectual would have many tools to make conclusions about their life, and scientific naturalism is not the only tool to form conclusions about life. For example, it kind of improves logical truths, okay. because logical truths are necessary for yeah, science okay. in the first place. All right. So it's self-defeating from that perspective. Okay, so um, finally, I just want to say, is there any um, websites or anything that anybody wants to plug while you've got the chance? Well, I had a revelation at the age of 12. Right. It was of how interesting philosophy is, and I discovered that when I read Bertrand Russell's obituary. At the age of I've 12? I've loved, situ- <laughs> loved the subject ever since. So if I can plug two websites, one is an organisation based in London called Philosophy for All, in which we hold talks and discussions and debates, and the website is www.pfalondon.org. And the other is my own website where you can find out more about my philosophical work, which is www.rbphilo, so that's rbphilo.com. End of advert. Okay, Hamza? Yeah, finally, just more about the Quran because no one had any contentions on the Quran, which I think... Uh, it's only because we didn't have time. But. Well, maybe because there was an absence of knowledge there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let me give you some information. An interesting website is theinimitablequran.com and more about the Islamic worldview in terms of its intellectual foundations is onereason.info. And okay. I have these packs for you, actually. Oh, uh, so kind. You. It's a gift pack. Okay, uh, thank you. Just elaborating on the... Uh-huh. Intellectual, rational, emotional foundations of the Islamic worldview. Oh, please do read it. I, I know they don't like chocolate now, boxes, but uh, please enjoy <laughs> okay. them. And, and there's actually there's buckler inside if you want to. Oh, okay, Barry, anything you want to plug there? I wasn't really prepared for this, but on our website, my church's website, which is www.stpaulsealing or one word dot com, um, there is a course on there called the Six Course, which is apologetics, and okay. it does go. It does do quite a good job on the suffering thing from a Christian perspective. Okay, and I, uh, I'm Grant Bartley from Philosophy Now magazine, which I'm plugging, and then I'm also plugging my books, which are Meta Revolution and Love, Solitude, and Destruction, which you can both get on Amazon.